you can be seated. As we uh, begin with this time of word, um, let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you teach us how to pray, and we might continue to look at this thing called the Lord's Prayer that you taught us, and that you might guide us through it, so that we might be people not just of faith in our heads and hearts, but faith in our practice as well. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in week five of our series together on the Lord's Prayer. And we've been looking through, uh, some of us have been reading along with Adam Hamilton's book on the Lord's Prayer. Other of us have just going off of memory on this thing, because, you know, a lot of us know the prayer that Jesus taught us. Some of us are learning it for the first time. In any case, I think it's valuable for us as a community, because it's the one prayer that Jesus said, pray like this. He didn't give us any other examples of how we ought to pray specifically other than this Lord's Prayer. And we've been walking through this together and talking about how the prayer that we pray so often on Sunday mornings in our sanctuary, our church service, and many throughout the world, isn't one just to be words given to God. It's to be words that are put into practice. And so we've uh, gone week by week, and we started with the, the first part of that, which is, do we got it up on the screen ready, Quina? So we have, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I'm just going to recap a little bit, and you can go back to Sermons of the Past, or you can pick up the book. But the beginning of this is to recognize God is God, right? And that God is God, and then our responsibility is to ensure that we continue to maintain that reality, that God is there, holy and set apart, hallowed be thy name, another way of saying that, so that we might not be uh, futile enough to think that we are God, which is the root of all of our wrongdoings, which we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Next is thy kingdom come. So if God is there, we're in search of God's kingdom here on earth. And it's not our kingdom that we're building, but it's God's that God brings to earth as it is in heaven. And then we moved on to give us this day, our daily bread. And we talked about how God wants all of us to have enough. And that this is not just me and my daily bread, but it's our daily bread. And the call to live that out in our actions, that we help feed those that don't have enough food too. And then we moved on and we talked about, and forgive us our trespasses. And this is uh, what we talked about last week, and I gave the charge, and so I'm repeating it so you can go back, to write a letter of forgiveness. And I had a dear friend that called me, and he, uh, he got some consultation, and he's like, but, you know, Brian, how am I supposed to forgive this person? We talked for a while, and so everyone has that person, right? And, you know, we talked about what would it look like to forgive someone? And, you know, how do we do that? And, and one of the things is, like, you can't just say, I forgive you, right? Because usually that person has a bone to pick with you as well, right? So that just, like, adds fuel to the fire. And we talked about how forgiveness, though, really begins internally, as we also are willing to accept forgiveness for ourselves and recognize our own culpability and to come to terms with what all that we can control, which is our ability to receive grace in ourselves so that we might give it out to the world. And then we move to today's passage, 
which I think is the most obscure for many of us. And we actually, I think, do our cadence in a way that misses kind of the main point of it. Because if we do what we, if we pray the prayer as up to now, let's do it together, or you can do it together with me, or I'll do it. And the cadence we do on Sunday morning, it says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we go right quickly through, and I'm going to talk about that for a minute. But in just, a, just for a moment, you can appease me as for my like, side hobby that I like to do. Um, some of you know that I like soccer. And one of the things I do is I'm an assistant. Well, this year I'm an assistant coach. Last year I coached a couple soccer teams. Um, and one of the things I tell the groups together when we get together, uh, it's AYSO, right? This isn't like club, like the all beyond that Katie has over there. It's not, not fan fancy like that. This is like just parks and rec league, right? And all kinds of kids there at various levels of soccer. And the one thing I say is I go, okay, guys, because I coach the boys, the 12U boys. And I say, all right, today I want to focus on fun, right? We all want to have fun. And then passing and positions. That's it. Just play your position. And then we begin and I, and I say like, okay, you know, Kai, you're left striker and then right striker, left mid, center mid, right mid, and then, then left, you know, center. Yeah, pretty simple. But then once the game starts, my voice starts getting like louder and louder, right? Because I don't know what it is. Like, it's like, I say to a couple players, like you're left, right? You're left striker or like left mid. And then without a doubt, they're like in the back of the field on the right side. And I'm yelling across the field, like play your position, right? Like play your position. And I get it. They're all like 10 and 11 year olds. And they're like, just so excited about this ball that they're supposed to be putting into this net. And they just start all of a sudden, we call it magnet ball, right? Like everyone just starts magneting towards the ball and they just start running all over. And, and like some of the the players just like can't like can't help themselves no matter what they're gonna find themselves like all the way over on the other side of the field only to hear coach's voice say what right you're in the wrong position you're in the wrong position and i use that analogy because i think that that's how like jesus and a lot of the writers of the bible kind of view our tendencies as humans right we find ourselves on the wrong side of the field. And it's not because we're like choosing to play wrong. I don't think any of my players took my like words of wisdom of passing and positioning. And then they're like, I'm going to do the opposite. Like they really want to, they either don't really know their position, right? So the others really don't know what they should be doing, which is on me, or they just get so excited in the moment that they can't help themselves, right? And that they kind of just like lean towards whatever makes the most sense for them, which is, you know, stopping the ball or helping the ball get into the net all makes sense. And that's how we find ourselves kind of in the midst of what Jesus is saying to lead us out of. Find ourselves in the midst of temptation and deliver us from evil. And those are really big words, right? Like evil and then like temptation. And you're like, ah, what are we talking about here? But really, I think what it is, is that we get caught up in desires of our own, oftentimes good. And then we find ourselves in a place where perhaps God didn't really want us 
there. It wasn't a place of healing or wholeness or its mistakes or its failures or wherever that is. And God wants to guide us out of that. When we hear the word temptation, we ought, and especially in the New Testament, think about temptation, right? Especially when it's coming out of Jesus's own mouth in the Gospels. I cannot help but fast forward a couple months until we find ourselves in Lent and we hear about Jesus and his what? Temptations. If you didn't know that Jesus throughout the Gospels is tempted in his preparation for Holy Week goes out and he fasts and he prays for 40 days and for 40 nights and there meets the tempter. And again, we don't like really often like connect to this, I think, especially in our, you know, uh, kind of like worldview, socioeconomic. We don't like think of like Satan or the evil one or like as like a verbal, you know, someone that's tempting us like Jesus. But if you look at the temptations that Jesus was offered, I think they really do hit home. Jesus, when he's in the wilderness, is given three temptations. The the first is he's hungry, right? He is in the wilderness, he is fasting, and he's praying. And he's tempted with the ability to turn a stone into bread. And and this is an individual desire. Like, we we desire food, right? Like, I mean, we want to eat. And yet also, I mean, think about the implications for what that might mean for like world hunger or something, right? If we can literally manifest food wherever we want, we could do so much good in the world. Not only is this meeting our desire, but it's meeting the desires of the world. And Jesus is tempted with this ability to do that. It's a good intention. But Jesus goes back to this prayer, right? And that one of the challenges of this prayer is, what do we begin with? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. God's intention is not for us to be able to solve the problems like world hunger. Because the minute that we start to do that on our own is the minute that what? We start to do that on our own. It becomes our endeavor our project. And instead, Jesus says, humanity doesn't live on bread alone. That we rely on the word of God. And so Jesus does not not want to feed people, but Jesus doesn't want that endeavor to become our endeavor. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because if we lose sight of the other one, the one who is leading us, we always find ourselves into that place of temptation and find ourselves in that place that this that Jesus says the evil one like they'll lead us away from evil the other temptation that Jesus is offered is to go up to the tallest building and to throw himself off and to know that God will and God's angels will protect him implication i read from that how great would it be if we could avoid the pain and devastation of physical harm, of aging, of illnesses? How amazing would it be if we could help protect others from that as well? Again, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Jesus says, do not put the Lord God to the test. 
And then the last temptation that Jesus is offered is to go up to the mountaintop and to look over all and says, you can have all of this. That this can be your kingdom. And you can reign over it, and you can bring peace on earth. And friends, I don't know about you, but I look at the news this past week, and I just want to do that. Right? Bishop Dottie, our new bishop for our Episcopal area, sent out an email we can forward to you later this week. I just read it this morning in preparation, an email of prayers for peace. How desperately do we want peace in the world, especially as we see the war drums beating stronger and stronger? Oh, and how great it would be if Jesus would just take that seat of power or if someone that could do that and just change it all. But Jesus knows what? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And so we find ourselves with these pure desires to feed people, to protect people, to bring peace. And, you know, we oftentimes take the cues and the temptations, right? Who doesn't want to feed the world? Who doesn't want to protect others? Who doesn't want to bring about peace? And so we go on our way. And we find ourselves doing the same thing that we do throughout the history of the church and God's people. Finding ourselves in this place that we no longer rely on God. So this verse, this passage, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is really more about the first preposition. And Adam Hamilton, actually, when he prays it in his church and the Church of the Reconciliation in, uh, in Kansas City, he actually pauses. And in his translation in the book, he adds a comma. And he says, and lead us, not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. Saying that the emphasis that Jesus is placing is for us to see God as the one who is leading us and guiding us as we take our next steps. It is so easy for us to kind of like just be in our world and to go without any consolation of what it might mean for God to be guiding us step by step and to lead. And some of the people that we know like that can, uh, you know, that, that talk about God leading and calling, you know, it just seems so abstract to us. Actually, had the gift last week. I um, went to California for the Board of Ordained Ministries, and uh, we had a meeting called the Day of Discernment, which uh, the Day of Discernment is a day when we bring all the new candidates that are about to apply to become uh, elders, which is like pastors or deacons, which is going out and serving nonprofits or in churches and compassion and justice. But these orders, these ordination within the United Methodist Church, they gather, and then we hear their call story. Um, I didn't have anyone that I was interviewing on Tuesday, but I did have the responsibility of speaking. I had to preach to them and to all the pastors that were gathered. And so I had to share with them my call story. And 
If you hear the word call story and you're like, what is he talking about? That's how I felt. I went to Duke Divinity School, right, where you're offered two questions. And I think I've said this before. The two questions, and okay, Dee Nicole is with, is with us today. She was an intern with us a, a few years ago in the summer. So she's laughing because she knows, and she already knows the questions. Because the questions are two, and they're probably both obscure for her and myself, which is, what denomination are you? Which is just a super weird question to be asked as you're introduced to someone. Like, it's like, hey, my name is Brian. And Don, what's your denomination? Like, super weird, right? And then the other question that they're asked, of course, because it's Duke, is are you a Duke or UNC fan, right? So, I mean, you're asked those two questions, and I went to Duke, and I was like, I, I am not part of a denomination, and I, I was there to study under Harawas, and I uh, didn't follow college basketball, and I think that they're about to stone me every time. Don't worry, I ended up Methodist and ended up a Duke fan, so apparently they're formation and doctrine training worked, you know, but it was odd. And then when I found myself like discerning that maybe I wasn't going to follow in the footsteps of the, of the famous Hauerwas and become a professor, and I was going to serve the local church, that all of a sudden people in the Methodist church started talking about me about this call. And that's the word that we use when people are ordained to church. They're like, what's your call? And I'm like, what are you talking about? What's my call? Like, I don't understand the words that you're saying. And so I had to go before committees and I had to share with them my call. And when I hear that, I hear it like, you know, like I'm out there praying and then all of a sudden God says, and Brian, I want you to be a pastor, right? You know, like that's what you think of. And when you see a pastor up here, you know, like one of the questions, if, uh, you know, like, especially someone who's just really curious because they don't know nothing about the church They'll ask, they'll either stop talking to me when they find out I'm a pastor, or they'll ask, which happens frequently, um, or the other thing that they'll say is like, like, how did you decide to do that, right? Like, you know, like, and honestly, just have no clue as to how they would decide to do that. And if I were to tell them, oh, I was called by God, they would like have the greatest question mark on their face, right? Like I could say that and they'd just be like, what are you talking about? I have zero idea what that means. Because they think of others as being called, like, Brian. You know, like, that's what they think. And they just have no frame of reference. And so I, I spoke to these new uh, ordinands or, you know, people that are looking, candidates looking to become ordained. And I said, I didn't know what that meant. All I knew is that through the prayer time that I have and through the mentors that I have, the doors were opening and God was, like, leading me. And, and one of the tools that I had was I had some church history around me, and I had uh, this kind of prayer partner named Ignatius of Loyola. Um, have you, you all heard of Ignatius of Loyola, right? Yeah? No? No? No one? Okay. Anyway, uh, the beginning of the Jesuit priests, okay? Is that good? You know, Jesuit, they're, the, they're part of the Catholic Church. They go out, you know, some of those things. But uh, he was born and one year before Columbus. So do you know what day that is? 1940, or ni sorry, 1491. And one of his things was that he became famous for is discernment, discernment. And he had this thing called the examen, which is kind of the examine, and how do we examine God's lead in our life? And when you think of like this person who has become a saint, right? And you think of the saints, you think of them as what? The people that have this, like, I joke with people, the golden phone in the back, right? I can call up and I know what's going to happen. And that's what you think, this is a saint. But the saint talks about this idea of leading us. And when the, God leads us, 
it's not always this black and white endeavor. Being called to ministry, being called to your vocation or your passion in your life, being guided away from our own desires and hearing God's voice yelling at us from the other side of the field, play your position, right? Isn't so easy. And Ignatius talked about, you know, I mean, he has broader steps. I'll simplify it for us. Three steps. Be aware of God's presence. So take a moment and you reflect and you say about your day or about your past few days, you say, where's God been? Right? Where has God been in that day? I mean, when's the last time you stopped and you might think, how has God been present in my day? And then when you're present, you kind of, you, you say, you give thanks for that. Step one, being aware and being thankful. Step two, two, is to look at your failures and to look at your missteps. Because not only are we not going to be able to see God's grace in our lives if we don't actually look at our failures, but we won't know how to avoid them in the future, right? If we find ourselves with like, you know, blinders and we're not willing to engage with what we've done wrong or ways in which we've missed our step, and then ask, maybe how was God trying to guide me out of that or away from that? And then the next is to pray for that future. Where is God taking me next? And he, he talks about paying attention to your emotions. And his own story, you know, you think of these saints and you're like, oh my gosh, he's a saint. You know what I mean? Like, and you think, well, what did they do? But like his own story was the one where he was like in this track of nobility where he was going to go and do all the aristocracy stuff. You know, he's going to find a wife and do everything that they were going to do. And he found himself, he like got, was in this battle and had like literally a cannonball hits his leg and it's totally shattered and he's recovering and he's like daydreaming during the recovery process being like, what am I going to do next? Where am I going to go? And he starts thinking about, you know, how he's going to go and marry and do all the things that he's supposed to do as a noble. And, and it got him excited. And then afterwards, he just kind of was aware of that, like, he's kind of felt depressed afterwards. He was just aware of his body that, like, that was really cool for a minute. And then it, like, all of a sudden just kind of wore off. And then he started thinking about these saints because he was reading some books and about Jesus because he was reading about Jesus. And then he starts thinking about what it would mean for him to partner with that. And that got him also excited. But when he finished that, it wasn't like a depressive afterwards, but he just was aware that he still was kind of excited, that that excitement lingered. And that was kind of the beginning of his sainthood, just recognizing where the Spirit's emotions were taking him. Lead us. Guide us. Jesus wants us to pray that prayer and to live it. Reflect. How has God been involved in my day? What are the failures? What can I learn from? How can maybe God was guiding me out of that? And then where is God taking us? And I, and I switch. Right there, if you noticed. That's the last point, I promise. It's us, not just me. 
that this discernment of God lead us is not just me, it's us. My role is important, but together, this is what our call is, to lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because it's bad enough if one of us starts, you know, running, right? It's even worse when we all start running, right? When the whole team is playing magnet ball, it ends up way worse, I promise. So how can we together guide? And, you know, uh, that's, that's also my prayer. And I'm just going to share this, because this, there was no way for me not to talk about this today, sorry. Is when we pray lead us, I mean lead us. And that should be our prayer. I, I talked about going to uh, the Board of Ordained Ministries this week, and it was bittersweet because I knew that hanging in my closet was this. My stole that was given to me when I was ordained. And it was placed on my shoulders and said, take thou authority, right? This was made by Palestinian Christians. Lead us. We not march to the drums of war so quickly and remember that God is guiding us. And so this week in the news, and I'm not trying to like say what we should, I know nothing about what we should do. There are many more people knowledgeable in this room about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But the prayer of lead us is reminded of the Christian brothers and sisters that are alongside and in Gaza as well. And that's how powerful, how quickly that prayer gets, doesn't it? Lead us communally, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we don't know the way, we just know where we've gone wrong. So let that be our individual prayer and do the eximen together and let us pray that the world does it as well so that where we hope for peace, it might, might break in. I invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, we don't know the next steps that we're supposed to and not supposed to take. And we see the pain and the hardship in the world. And we pray this prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Help us avoid temptation. Help us avoid our own natural tendency to play magnet ball. And to follow your calling to us to hear your voice, not in the boom, but in the soft discernment, in the nuanced remembrance of the humanity around us. Lead us, we pray, not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. Amen.